Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is season two and I'm your host, Beverly Roche. On this season, I'll have some exciting guests talking about their experiences in cybersecurity, along with a four-part series on scams and fraud. Looking forward to you joining me for this season. My incredibly supportive colleagues, Jonathan and Jason at CyberAware, are supporting my production for the podcast for the next few series, which is really kind of them. Hey, go check out their next-gen security awareness training at cyberaware.com. Today on the podcast, I'll be talking to Ryan Janosevic. Ryan is one of the co-founders of Retrospect Labs. Interesting little backstory, they came out of SciRise, so um, a little Aussie startup right here. We've got to do everything we can to support Australian talent and Australian business, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have them on the podcast. In addition to that, they help us get prepared and Ryan's got some really interesting things to talk to us in relation to our level of preparedness around simulations, all sorts of exciting stuff. So he's going to be joining me in a moment. Ryan, so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming in at short notice. You know, with the backdrop of COVID-19 and this absolute catastrophic situation that we find ourselves in, operational resilience in cyber is absolutely it for us. What do you think? I agree. Thank you so much, Beverly, for the opportunity to come in and talk to you and all your listeners about it. Um, you know, really excited to be here. I think we've seen enough about how to work from home. I think everybody's given us lots of informative material mm-hmm. on the steps that we need to take to work from home. For us in Australia, for example, I think probably the biggest issues that people seem to have had is bandwidth issues. You know, I've got a friend who's Mm. got an architectural practice. How do you get drawings across the internet, right? So some of that's a bandwidth issue. I don't know whether other countries are having bandwidth issues, but, you know, the thing that we're really going to talk about today is, you know, what are the threats that we're seeing today? Tell our listeners about what are we seeing? I think the first thing for us to think about and for us to remember is just how highly motivated um, these groups of people are who are targeting our networks. So cyber criminals, for one, they're incredibly quick to respond to these global events and they craft and create their new campaigns super quickly. Um, they look to take advantage of whatever they can to increase their chance of success. They're very, very opportunistic and they really seek to exploit people's fears. So COVID is a prime example of that for them. So we've got that whole kind of cybercrime angle. We've also got people that are looking to make a statement or some sort of political statement um, who might be upset with the current situation or how the government's responding. And I note that today there were reports on the ABC of a DDoS against the MyGov website. So that's kind of the last thing that those guys probably needed to be dealing with. That was a capacity planning, stress testing issue. 
I tweeted on that and someone said, oh, I think that's fake news. And it wasn't. It was just that it actually wasn't. You're right. It wasn't a DDoS attack. Yeah, look, I just wanted to interject for a sec because that was that's what we're seeing. That's exactly what we're seeing. And it's throwing things into mayhem, isn't it? Absolutely. It's really hard for people to know what's accurate and what's not. Um so we know that these cyber criminals will use anything at their disposal to make their lures more attractive to victims. So that's things like using COVID as a theme in spear phishing emails, um, setting up fake websites that contain malware themed around COVID to attract people to those websites. Their goal is always to get you to click on those links, right? So that's what they're going to do. And they're going to do mm. anything and absolutely everything they can in their power. Um, I think that the kind of the rate at which we're seeing campaigns use COVID-19 as a theme is probably only going to increase with time. And that just means that people really need to be vigilant, really staying on top of it and making sure they're aware. So that's kind of what they we're seeing right now. What should they be doing in terms of a response to that? You know, what are the things that you would be recommending that organisations should be doing to be prepared and ready, knowing that they're going to, there's more of that to come, right? You know, in a crisis like this, it just shows you how important it is to be prepared and ready. And, and sadly, I think a lot of organisations probably aren't quite as prepared already as they would ideally like to be because that kind of preparedness, those business continuity planning activities, those disaster recovery activities, they're not always the most resource activities in an organisation. But, you know, as you've noted, we're all working from home at the moment. We aren't in our usual office space. We're not connected to our safe, hopefully, corporate Wi-Fi. The IT desk isn't just around the corner to help us out. Um, so we're really reliant on technology more than ever to actually help us through this crisis. And while that's incredibly exciting and incredibly great thing that we have all this technology around us, it's also a little bit scary. So I think in a general sense, maintaining awareness broadly of how the threat landscape changes is really important. So keeping an eye on the tradecraft that malicious cyber actors use. Now, I don't think personally that that tradecraft is going to fundamentally change. We don't all need to panic about new zero days and things like that. I think the tried and tested methods of fake sites, phishing emails, um, you know, fake profiles on LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, I think that's all going to continue. We just need to make sure that we're ready um, and we can adapt to our new working practices. So a part of that really broadly, not just cyber specific, is having great BCP practices in place. So great business continuity planning practices and make sure that we're testing them. So we need to instill, I guess, a sense of purpose and structure for all of our people. And we need to remember that cyber and BCP plans need to be integrated as a part of a kind of whole of organisational plan process um, so that we can really work together effectively during this time. Therein lies the challenge, right, that, you know, it's really hard to sometimes get execs to understand the importance of this whole of business yeah. operational resilience as opposed to, is that a tech issue? Is that a business process issue? Pulling all of that together, how do you get organisations to do that? I think one of the best ways to do is ask the question, ask the question of your exec, are we ready for a ransomware incident now? what would the impact of a ransomware incident be in the current threat environment, in our current working arrangements, given that we're all working remotely? Um, our IT environment's changed. 
what are our new risks? Do we have the right plans in place to protect and defend against our networks? So I think that question is a great starting point to actually ask people and really challenge their assumptions so that we can work through some of their processes together um, and work out our new plans so that we're really, really well protected and prepared for an incident when it does happen. Because make no mistake about it, with all of these new um, arrangements, with all of the stress that's on all of us, a cyber incident's much more likely to happen because we're just going to be under so much additional external pressure than ever before. So what tangibly does your organisation help with in, in relation to do you develop playbooks for people? Do, you, you know, what, it, what are the tangible things that you can actually do to get them going? Absolutely. So we are happy to help and assist. We're fundamentally an organisation that specialises in cybersecurity exercises, but a big part of that is also also helping organisations prepare their incident response plans, prepare their um, playbooks and helping them test them. So if you don't have an incident response plan, you need to build them now. If you do have incident response plans, you need to take them off the shelf, dust them off and update them and keep updating them as the situation changes. You know, I think our our cyber incident response plans is just like a fire plan. So you need to have those plans in place to make sure that we all know how to evacuate. We all know how to respond when there is a fire and cyber is really no different. We need to be practicing and testing them so that we know that they work. If there is a cyber incident, how will we all manage with remote working staff? If we need to get an image for a compromised device, do we have a current process in place to actually enable that? These are the kinds of questions we need to be um, updating our incident response plans with at the moment. We need to make sure that our hardworking SOC analysts and our hardworking teams that um, utilize the information that the SOC produces, that they know their playbooks, they know their incident response plans and they've practiced them. And a very, very important point here, I think, we need to make sure that people know what their roles and responsibilities are <laughs> and whether these have changed as a result of the current working environment. So making sure that people know what they need to do, that they are supported and empowered to do so, and having good plans in place really helps reiterate this. Yeah, that's the bit where I've found historically has really come unstuck is that a GM will walk into a room typically mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, I'm going to manage this. And that's a whole new ball game for us from a cyber perspective because, you know, I do the translating. I talk to the SOC guys and then translate it into business speak and then do the so what what does it mean for us from a business perspective, then they want to grab it and they want to put their own narrative around it. And then we end up with, well, that's not really what happened. And I think there was a sense of that that kind of happened today. You know, we've seen that sometimes in the past where, well, it's a denial of service attack. Well, no, it wasn't. It was actually, and I think when people understand what it was, So you get all this awesome information out of the SOC that tells you what actually technically happened. That's the bit where if you don't get those roles and responsibilities sorted out quickly, you've got someone translating an incorrect message 
Exactly right. You've got someone translating a message incorrectly. You've got people making snap decisions because they're under stress. They think they need to respond. Um, what we really need to do is make sure that these plans are well socialized across the organization and that they've got that mm. um, inherent acceptance and approval from senior managers so that people are actually empowered to go and do their jobs. They know their roles and responsibilities and they know the kind of decisions that they can make before they have to escalate it to someone else. Everyone is super under the pump and really busy at the moment, right? We've got a whole lot of personal stuff going on and a whole lot of work stuff going on. So that in itself is hard enough to balance. And it's why it's so important to practice our responses to incidents so that we can minimize that harm. Um, you know, cybersecurity exercises help us respond better. They make it so that we're able to more quickly and much more effectively respond to an incident and minimize the impact. I, I don't think anyone really wants to be in the situation where the first time they're trying to figure out how to respond to an incident is when it's a real live thing and we've got all this additional stress on us. If we've practised them, we know what to do. And therein lies the challenge, isn't it? You know, the BAU day-to-day stuff as busy as it can possibly be fighting all these good fights, right? And then it's how do you get people to make the time And it's almost like, you know, it's not really a BAU task. They're shadowing you. You're navigating them through it so that they could get the discipline. Am I on the right track here? So they can get the discipline to say, you know, we're going to practice this and we're going to practice this. How often? What do you recommend? It really depends on the objectives of what you're trying to exercise, the outcomes you're trying to test. So if you want to test your SOC team more regularly so that you know that their analytical capabilities are up to date against a wider range of threats, then absolutely you should be doing that on a regular basis. At the moment, it's really hard because exercises are quite a big thing to develop on your own. It takes a lot of your time to write something. It takes a lot of time to actually get the right people in a room and pull it off. Um, So we're trying to help organisations minimising that, and that's where I guess you can um, hire external parties like us to come in and help out. Um, If you want to do larger whole-of-day organisations or multi-team exercises across the entire organisation, you know, I mean, doing them at least a couple times a year, if not quarterly, is a really good starting point. Um, I think the main outcomes need to be uh, testing helps socialise plans and helps people learn. So that's why it's really important to do those fire practice, uh, fire evacuations, practice those fire evacuations. That's why our army trains constantly. That's why airline pilots undertake simulations. Um, you know, we don't want the first time people are responding something to something to be that everyday routine cyber incident that all of a sudden turns into a catastrophic incident that takes down your entire network just because you weren't able to respond as effectively as you could be. So doing exercises as often as possible is a really important thing. And I think the other thing to note is that cyber isn't actually just the the domain of the IT people. It cuts across the whole organisation So you need people from multiple areas who might not even think about cybersecurity, who just assume that they turn their computer on and they're safe to go to work and go about their days, as they should. But you need all of those people involved at some point in time so they understand what cyber is because they're a part of our solution. You know, it sounds to me like you're well-versed in and well-practised in this and you've had some government background 
as I understand it. That military precision that you need to get to is challenging enough, but I still think the biggest challenge is getting all these other stakeholders on board, you know, and have you got any suggestions for, you know, what do we do? How do we, you know, it has to come from an executive place, doesn't it? It has to be really driven from either a governance forum or a committee or absolute sea level saying, you've all got to be on board because we're going to practice this. Is that the way you achieve it? Absolutely. I think it does need really strong top-down support. And that means that you have executives turning up to exercises, you have executives and C-levels and even board members actively involved in exercises. And you also might want to think about building into your staff's performance agreements that they either lead an exercise, that they participate in an exercise um, and start helping, I guess, generate that culture of exercising. As I said before, it's that social learning element. It's bringing people from different backgrounds together, technical people, non-technical people, helping them understand what they need to do in an incident and how they can support good incident response. Exercises are the best way to work out what your organisational strengths are, both as an organisation, teams and as individuals and where your weaknesses are, which then gives you time to improve. So you can go away and you can write into your playbook, okay, we know that we actually need to notify the media team much more early if we're going to control the narrative before it gets out on Twitter or before the ABC reports something about a DDoS (laughs) affecting MyGov, you know. Um, So learning that together in in a safe environment is a much better way of doing it than learning about it together for the first time during a real event. Oh, God, that is just absolute fantastic wisdom. So we're really saying treat it like a fire drill, practice it and practice it so that you've got that lovely playbook absolutely down pat. We can't just write incident response plans, write playbooks and put them on the shelf. Having them and then ticking a compliance box to say, yes, we have an incident response plan isn't actually enough. We need to be living it, breathing it, updating it as a living document to make sure that it's actually useful for our people. And if we're investing in that, we can limit the harm of cyber incidents. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because this whole, you know, more and more and more, we start to realise as cybersecurity professionals that we can throw more kit at it. We know it's a human-centred issue, right? Because I keep banging on about it all the time. Loads of us us do, absolutely. But, But more than that, we really have to say to people, you've got to treat this as a whole of business operational resilience. Don't worry about what your posture looks like over there. Don't worry so much about those legacy applications that you haven't patched. But if you've got a really good operational resilience plan, you're going to you're going to get through it. Correct. You're going to at least recover. You know, we saw with the toll incident 5 weeks out of, you know, five weeks they struggled and a thousand servers hit. Just, you know, the business impact, if you even use the MERSC example during NotPetya, 
um, up in the hundreds and hundreds of millions, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure that that's what happened to Toll in terms of the financial impact, but, you know, imagine a logistics company being without um, systems, tracking systems, booking systems, reservation systems for five weeks. That is a huge impact to a business and no Australian organisation at, at this time when our economy is so fragile already really wants to be in that situation. Mm. This is where we feel as a profession that, you know, we we kind of do have to bang the drum a bit and get people to say, you know, we, we really care about our cybersecurity posture as a society and we want businesses not to go out of business through um, through a cybersecurity incident or ransomware or any of those threat vectors, right? One of the things that we really have to do that you and I talked about in our little pre-brief is how do we get Australian companies to support Australian talent? How do they respect the fact that we've got the skills here and to invest in them? And you're not a big end of town global consultant, but you've got loads of good skills and discipline that you've got to bring to the table. What do you say to that? I know it's a, it's a really tough one, especially given the kind of budgetary constraints that people are going to be uh, under in the coming weeks, months, and the presumably the lack of um, willingness to accept risk as we move forward after COVID-19. You know, people are going to want to regroup, not take new risks on small startups. But I think what we can't afford to do is neglect this group of passionate, talented, skilled individuals who are there to disrupt an industry or to challenge the norm. These people uh, that I know, a significant number of startup founders that I know want to do cybersecurity better and they are living and breathing it. They have mm. quit their date jobs. They've quit their well-paying cyber jobs that have great job security. A lot of yeah. them aren't even earning a salary at the moment and they're trying to build something because that's what they really, really believe in. So what we need to do as Australia and as Australian companies is take that leap of faith for those small companies like mine um, who are trying to do something different, to try and do something better, to really improve cybersecurity in Australia. That does mean taking on a high level of risk. That does mean not valuing as much the brand name of PwC, EY, KPMG, just to name a few. Not to say that those firms don't do fantastic work, but there are other ways of doing things and just getting that brand name on a piece of paper to say, yes, you know, we had um, one of the top end of town come in and do this body of work for us and assume that that means it's good. That's not actually helping us. We need people that are willing to take risks, willing to understand what startups are offering, the solutions that they're offering, and help them out by giving them a chance. That means making procurement easier. That means mm. getting over some of our um, assumptions about startups. You know, we're not all going to fall over tomorrow. Um, and it means that we support the ecosystem as a whole. And I think that, you know, just trying your services for a while, you know, I don't think it's anywhere near as high risk. I can see what you're saying about, you know, they see it as commercial risk. Absolutely. From a talent perspective, there's no risk. You know that you're going to get people that have had loads of 
practical experience about how to do this operational resilience cyber preparation. Tell us just before we wrap up a little bit about the experience that both you and Jason have. Well, Jason and I have worked in incident response for combined about 18 years between the two of us. Um, And we worked at the Australian Cybersecurity Centre for much of that time, uh, leading some of the most complex incident response activities for the Australian government against networks of uh, national interest, critical infrastructure networks, and against some of the most serious threat actors out there. So your, your top end nation state actors who are targeting Australia. And I think why we started this business is we wanted to get out of the reactive space as great as incident response is and as, as, as fun as it is. You know, I loved working mm. all those weekends, uh, not sleeping overnight, <laughs> being on call. Um, they, they were genuinely really fun because we always had a great team of people around us and that was absolutely fantastic. But we wanted to get into the proactive space where we could le- take what we had learned from doing um, incident response wise, take what we had learned from looking at the tradecraft malicious actors were using to target Australian networks and turn it into something that organisations could do to start protecting themselves better. You said before that there's lots of kit out there, people are buying lots of tools, people are hiring lots of good people. And so what we thought was exercises are a great way of bringing all of that together. You can test Mm -hmm. out that kit, you can test out your people, you can test out your teams, and you can see how they perform in an incident response situation in a safe space, in a safe way, and you work out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then you have a nice program where you go forward and improve. So we really want to uplift the readiness of Australian organisations so that when that incident inevitably does occur, they're ready to respond, their response is much more effective and efficient, and the harm is minimised. Lovely. That is just absolutely a great value proposition, isn't it? Now, how do people get in touch with you? Um, LinkedIn? I love LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ryan Janosovic. You can find Jason on LinkedIn, Jason Pang, or you can find our company on LinkedIn, Retrospect Labs. And we're also on Twitter. Um, our Twitter handle is just at Retrospect Labs. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. It was just so great to chat to you. And look, in the backdrop of where we're at right now, I hope organisations can see their way clear that they need planning. They need to get on top of this. And, you know, we just want to keep everybody safe and well and uh, look forward to hearing how your journey is going. Thanks, Ryan, for being on the podcast. Speak soon. Thanks, Beverly. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter or all the W's, cybersecuritycafe.com.au.